everyone, and welcome to the New Visionary Podcast, a podcast for artists who are ready to reach greater heights in their art careers. I'm your host, Victoria J. Fry, founder of Visionary Art Collective and New Visionary Magazine. Join me for inspiring conversations with some of the most inspirational visionaries in today's art world. Let's jump in. Welcome back to the new Visionary Podcast. I'm so excited you are all here with me today. We have the absolute pleasure of chatting with Ruth Lance, an amazing artist, educator, and founder of Crit Connection, an incredible networking community for artists. We're going to learn all about Ruth and the really powerful work she is doing today. Welcome, Ruth. Hi, Victoria. Thank you for inviting me to the podcast. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Oh, thank you. We're really looking forward to it as well. And, you know, I came across the Crick Connection not too long ago, but I remember I was really just kind of in awe of the work you're doing. So we're going to learn all about it today, but we're also going to learn about your work as an artist and as an educator. And I know as we were even chatting about before uh, recording this podcast, everything is interwoven, everything is connected. So our readers are going to get a really great understanding of who you are and the kind of work you do. So I'd love to just start by learning a little bit about your sort of origins as an artist. Uh, How did it start for you? I grew up in a super small town in central Illinois. There was 3,400 people in my town. I think the first time I ever even stepped foot into a museum, I was 17 or 18. So um, the art world was very foreign to me. But for some reason, I was always very creative. I was always interested in making things or in I was always in chorus and band. And the arts was always a draw for me. So I decided to move to Chicago when I went to college and just sort of jumped feet first into it and started to find models for what an artist's life or creative life could be. Started to try and navigate that world. So I I guess I really just jumped feet first into it and um, found a love (laughs) for making things and for being an artist. But I think that my interest, as far as my particular artwork, has been driven a lot by just an experience of space and sort of thinking about how we have experienced or how I have experienced different types of space in my life. Because growing up in a small town in central Illinois, which is very flat, you have all this this abundance of space right around you visual space you can just see forever and then moving to chicago that space immediately sort of condenses everything is flattened or everything is very tight and um i think that really affected my understanding of space and how we see and i think those were very sort of big influences in my art making. And I think I'm interested in landscape painting, landscape and 
technology now, but I think that those sort of formative experiences of moving from something so vast to something so tight is what really sort of started to create that interest. Beautiful. I I so appreciate you telling us about that. And I, I love a- like asking this question and I start almost every podcast episode with, the, with the, this question or one similar because every artist answers it so differently. You know, like we were all creative growing up and, and made art, many of us from an early age and all of that good stuff. But there are so many personal factors and experiences that contribute to the work that we create. So it's interesting to learn about what has impacted you and kind of influenced where you're at now. How would you say your work has evolved over the years? Um, have you seen a huge change in your work or has it always kind of been centered around those themes? I've always been centered a lot around thinking about how perception and how we see. I think that that has sort of shifted in a lot of ways over the years. And another thing that has always affected me is thinking about like devices that we have used in order to see. Like I used to be really interested in microscopes and the micro and um, telescopes and how those are sort of affect the way we see. Whereas now as uh, the world becomes more digital and more connected through technologies, I have really shifted more into thinking about that uh, technological language and how the way we are experiencing the world and the way we are experiencing landscape and the way we are experiencing visual images is condensing, right? So it's flattening because of how we are on technology all the time. And actually one of the experiences or one of the interactions that I had that really made that a concrete interest for me came through teaching where, um, you know, you teach students in a drawing one class to draw still life, right? After the, after a lot of my students had like iPhones or phones with high definition cameras, I had so many students be like, can I take a picture of it? I can't see it, which was a fascinating phenomenon to me because they were so used to looking at things in high definition and up close that if anything was a little bit fuzzy or anything was a little bit out of focus, it felt wrong. Right. So that idea of how that idea of depth perception has really shifted as our screens have gotten more and more high def and more just ubiquitous. That is fascinating, actually. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And to be completely honest, it scares me a little bit. You know, I'm I'm constantly thinking about the younger generation. And uh, I mean, sometimes I even just sit and I'm like, oh, my goodness, are humans going to have these like crazy adaptations? Like, are are our hands going to change because of the way that, you know, we're holding our phones all the time? Like what, how is it going to impact us like long-term? And um, that's really, really interesting. I I feel super lucky that I was kind of the last uh, or at least like one of the last um, generations, I guess, to not have, I mean, I didn't have social media and I think it came out when I was around 22. So I'm very grateful (laughs) that I did not have, you know, that I have my flip phone all throughout high school. 
because I think that it can be really powerful. But I think that for teenagers um, in particular, I mean, and this could easily digress into a whole other conversation, but like uh, it can be really harmful and there has to be boundaries and parameters around it. But your example, it does show, like you said, just how dependent they are on looking through their phones. I mean, it's like they're relying on their camera, the, the, their cameras on their iPhones more than their own eyes, which is insane. <laughs> Personally, I just think it's really shaped the way that we understand, well, everything but the world. And then the reason that I have sort of chosen landscape to investigate that is because landscape is inherently about seeing and thinking about seeing just like historically, but also in America, particularly and in America, American landscape painting in the 19th century, like Albert Bierstadt and Thomas Moran and those sort of Hudson River School-ish paintings. uh, Those paintings were evolving um, at the same time in the Industrial Revolution as like trains and major like technological advances so they were um they're sort of like intrinsically linked with big technological movements and so they've shaped in a lot of ways they shaped our understanding of progress and now you look when you look at like like a mac screensaver or you go to buy a tv at best buy there's always like these beautiful sort of like hudson river school mountains scapes on the screens trying to like sell us things and i think there's just like this inherent tie-in with like landscape and these vistas or these screens of sort of like enter into this space because you want to explore it right so there's this like this exploration sort of tie-in to these romantic vistas that were sort of like implemented in the 19th century. It's so interesting. I love hearing you talk about it because it really is like even changing my my idea about it a little bit. Like we did a show, um, I believe it was back in October called Nature and Technology. We partnered up with the curator, Tam Grin, who is just really incredible and very forward thinking. And it was a really fascinating show, the artwork that was selected. And it's still up on our website, like the, the images that were used in the, in the ex- exhibition. But it was such, I think it was one of the most peculiar shows we had ever done. Like it was so, I can't even really put it into words, but I mean, yes, we all know that like nature and technology are constantly evolving and like the relationship is changing and and we kind of know all of those things but when you really dive deeper into it and you really look at it like you said on more of a micro kind of level it's really fascinating and I think even I forget as I just like go about my daily life how technology is impacting the way that we see things and like just to the to the extent that it's really impacting the way that we're living our lives um it's also interesting because I'm a landscape painter too And I noticed that like, I'm very reliant on taking images on my phone to paint. (laughs) I mean, that's how I get my reference photographs, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so talking a little bit more about your work and and how it's kind of continuing to shift and evolve, would you say that 
um, the theme, it sounds like, has been consistent in your work for a long time. How has your work changed or has it changed in terms of other elements like style, color palette? I used to be much more abstract and think mm-hmm. about, um, so like when I was exploring more like cellular structures or microscopes, one thing I was interested in is how those images, even though they're sort of based in reality, are abstractions, right? They they feel and look like abstract paintings, even though they're nameable images, technically. So there was like a sense of ambiguity there that I found really interesting. And my images were much more organic. And I feel like my my images have become much more essentially vectorized as I've become more interested in technology. But that there's always a sense of interruption or sort of expressionism or messiness paired with that. So there's a bit more juxtaposition between like the hard and the expressionist, I would say. Would you say that you are an artist who really embraces change in your work? Is that something that you find challenging? I feel like it's so different for every artist. I kind of conceptually like to work around a problem. And so Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of times my ideas lead what my work will eventually look like. So Mm -hmm. I think that I, um, whatever I'm thinking about will dictate my hand or like what Mm. my work looks like. So I have to embrace my idea, even though I might be scared to change it. I love that. And I think that's so beautifully said too. And I think that's like a really important thing (laughs) in our practice is to allow our ideas to kind of lead us. And, and I think it's true in a lot of cases, even thinking about my own work, like you have the idea and then the color palette, the style, your technique all kind of follows suit depending on what it is you're trying to achieve or convey or impart on your audience, whatever it might be. It's beautiful. I love hearing a little, I love hearing more about your work. And I, I love these conversations because it's so different to talk to an artist about their work and have this conversation versus like reading about it on their website, you know, or on their Instagram. I want to shift gears a little bit and chat with you about your work as an educator, because like we said, everything is kind of connected. So one of the questions that I had for you is, you know, what ultimately led you to teach uh, and what, how has teaching kind of impacted you or your work? Has it impacted your the work that you create? Well, I think what led me to teaching was, in all honesty, I sort of fell into it. I don't know if I like set out to be like a teacher, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It just sort of found me. And then mm-hmm. I discovered that I enjoy it. <laughs> and like it's mm-hmm. some helping people sort of figure out their style and what they are interested in and how they can bring that into fruition is really rewarding for me Mm -hmm. because um, I feel like that is one of the hardest things to do as an artist is to figure out like, you know, what to make and how to make it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that if you can help somebody to, if you can help somebody to get there and kind of see that light bulb go off, 
it's almost like another part of your practice because it it just feels like you're in the studio with them in a way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's also, you know, it's hard to get them there. So it, it just feels rewarding to me. But it wasn't something that I necessarily was like, I'm going to be a teacher. <laughs> you know, it just sort of like, it sort of like came to me. Yeah, I, d- I definitely think 100% it's influenced my work just because since I deal with looking at art through how technology has affected us. So I am a, what's known as an elder millennial or even like an, <laughs> an ex ennial I'm like the mm-hmm. very first I am the last, the very last sort of generation to have an analog childhood and a digital, like junior high, high school existence. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm like the last generation that had to like entertain themselves as like (laughs) young kids, right? And so it's interesting to me to sort of watch, and I've been teaching for about 12 years. So it's interesting to watch as sort of we move from like the millennial to the Gen Z generation and just how they research differently and how they have different concerns about technology and how I can um, sort of take that back into my work and thinking about seeing and how they understand just images is really fascinating. Totally. I I think it's their approach is so different. And I see it the most with my younger sister, who's nine years younger than me. Like her approach is so, so different. And she's so fast with everything. (laughs) Like she'll show me how to do something on the computer and she just moves at light speed because like you said, they've grown up with this technology. So even though we've been utilizing it for many years now, like it's different because they actually, for them, it, you know, anyone who's in their early twenties or teen years, like they've grown up on it. So it's so like embedded into their daily life that it's just second nature to them. Another, another thing that I think it's really um, challenged me on and made me think about a lot is a sense of scale. My students have such a different understanding of scaling than I do. And also just like kind of searching for things. Like I was having a conversation with a student the other day of how I was like, I find it interesting how you were, you will spend hours and hours scouring the internet for the perfect image to copy as opposed to making your own, you know? And they were just like, well, I don't know how to use Photoshop to like collage things together. So even instead of like, you know, cutting something out or, um, and physically doing it or, you know, drawing it or looking at something and drawing it or, you know, they were having, they still felt like they needed to use a digital tool in order to like collage something. Yeah. I was just say that that would be like their, their gut instinct, their natural inclination would be to, you know, look it up online. Whereas for someone a little bit older, it would, the natural inclination would yeah. probably be to do something a little bit more analog. And then just the idea of scale, like how how easily you can make something larger or smaller and there isn't any like real differentiation or mm-hmm. hierarchy between scale has really kind of challenged my idea of hierarchy in images. 
That's beautiful. I think that teaching teaches us so much. And if we're doing it right, you know, we learn so much if we're open and receptive to it. And um, I find that with a lot of teaching artists, the, their teaching does impact their work. And that's part of why I wanted to ask you that question, because not always, but many times it does just have a natural um, influence on the way that we're creating, whether it's like the subject matter or just the way that we're approaching our work. Um, what would you say your favorite thing is <laughs> about teaching? Like, I know you said it's super rewarding to work with, with the, the younger generation, but um, is there anything in particular or like a project that you teach that you just really, really enjoy? Well, I think my favorite thing about teaching is no matter what you're teaching or what I'm teaching is just when like the light bulb goes off yeah. and like they're having a hard time and have, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, like whether it's like color or whether it's form or whatever it is. And they just like suddenly it like clicks. I think that's just my favorite part of teaching when something just sort of like coalesces mm -hmm. out of nowhere, you know, <laughs> and they like all of a sudden it's they get it. It's such a powerful moment and it's such a cool thing to witness and be part of. So, OK, uh, we're learning about your work. We're learning about your uh, experience as an educator. And so tell us about Crick Connection. I want to know all the things um, and I'm sure our audience does, too. How did you start it? When did you start it? I'll let you so, just dive right in. All right. So Crick Connection um, in November of 2020, I moved back to the Midwest from Portland, Oregon. And I had been living in Portland, Oregon for like 12 years and moved back for, you know, personal reasons. I wanted to be closer to my family. Um, my husband was ready to get out of Portland and live in like a little smaller place. So I moved back to um, central Illinois. And when I first got here, I was like, okay, <laughs> how am I going to stay connected to other artists? Because I had moved to a much smaller area. And also, I think just during the pandemic, we, a lot of artists were struggling to feel connected and even just make work. I think it was hard for a lot of us to make things. Um, I mean, for obvious reasons, right? There was a lot yeah. happening. And so I, I sort of on a whim just started um, Instagramming people like, hey, I, you know, want to make this little network where I just match people up and, um, you know, you'll meet a new person every month and then we'll just kind of see how it goes. And it just started real, real small and just through DM DMing people and people were like, yeah, that sounds great. You know, I need people in my studio to talk to right now. And I was like, all right. So the first connections were February of 2021. So it was kind of like at the height of the pandemic and people were, um, I would just send out email and be like, you know, so-and-so meet so-and-so. These are your connections for this month. And that was all I did was send out the email and then it, the ball was in their court and they could have a studio visit 
a lot of them have virtual studio visits and that's kind of how it started. That is so cool. And I'm, I love it so much because I think like many artists, I felt so disconnected from a community after graduating from both my undergraduate and graduate programs. And that for me was the most challenging part of navigating the art world. It wasn't even all the other things. It was feeling alone. (laughs) I think that's another reason I started it is because through conversations I've had with my friends and, you know, past students and everything, it's like, you know, the number one thing they miss is their peers and critique. And also like everyone is just like, why don't we get any professional practice in school? Like, why don't we write more? Why don't, why don't we learn how to make a spreadsheet? You know, like any of that stuff, like why don't we get any professional practice? Um, Which is coming back to teaching is something that I try to give my students um, or I try to put into my class classes because it's so important and it's so neglected, which, um, you know, is too bad, but there is a lot to give them in four years or five years, but, Mm-hmm. or two years in grad school but there it's just that that is the thing that it seems like everyone when we get out of school is like all right now what and you have you know yeah. you apply to a show and you're like should I apply to the show should I spend 50 dollars yeah. on this you know like I don't you know and nobody knows and so nobody knows um, nobody knows and um I think that's another reason, another thing I was struggling with, just having that network to bounce things off of, you know, like. Absolutely. It's so important. I mean, we can only grow so much on our own, like getting feedback from other artists, whether it's in the form of a studio visit or reviewing an artist statement that we wrote or just checking out our website to get another pair of eyes on it. And I, have had so many conversations with artists over the last several years about how there is an institutional change that needs to happen where we universities need to start uh, teaching their student, students, whether it's undergraduate or graduate, but they need to start focusing more on how to build a career as an artist in today's um, art world. I mean, it's, it's essential and it's a change that I'm hopeful <laughs> will happen, um, especially as we like have more and more dialogue around it. But those were the two hardest things for me and for many artists. It's like that loss of community that you have during art school where you're so connected. You're constantly just giving each other feedback. It's like ingrained into your everyday. So then that's gone. And then also not really knowing where to go from here. And actually what you what you just said reminded me of a really young artist I'm working with right now in my group mentorship program. She just graduated from art school. Like she is fresh off the boat. And in my program, one of the first things she's, she expressed to me and, and the, other, the other members was, I don't know what to do. And I'm not sure what opportunities are worth it and what opportunities are not. And I'm really nervous. And I haven't really, you know, I w- had a great program, but I I didn't really learn any of the practical tools or skills. And so, yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. And another thing that 
is great about Crit Connection is that there is artists in it from, you know, the United States. There's some from Amsterdam. There's some from Canada. There's some from the East Coast, the Midwest, the West Coast. So I feel like that is also a thing that's hard as an artist is it's hard to get out of your city sometimes or it's hard to get out of your area. And I feel like you're in New York and then you get connected with somebody from Utah and it's like nice just to be able to be like, Oh, what's going on there? Or I would have never met you, you know, any other way. And I think that um, it just gives opportunities to grow your network. You know, you wouldn't meet them at an opening. So it's like a different sort of access which the which actually without the pandemic is something that I would have never thought of mm-hmm. because Zoom has made things um, seem more accessible, I think. Yeah. And, and Instagram with all of its problems, but it makes things more accessible. So I think that those sort of tools have made for me particularly being an artist and connecting with people feel easier mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Absolutely. I think it's such a valuable thing that you're offering for artists and whether they went to art school or not, but just having that opportunity to make those connections and like have that support and get feedback. And like you're saying, meet artists that they may have never, that they probably wouldn't have met otherwise. Um, a couple questions for you. How how does it work in terms of like when an artist signs up for Crick Connection? Are they matched with someone immediately? And you said it changes. Does it, is, is it every month that they're matched with someone new? So um, they get nine matches a year. Um, mm-hmm. We take December and July and August off because I mm-hmm. feel like a lot of artists travel or have residencies in the summer and then December is just a weird month (laughs) because so many things are happening and they are matched at the beginning of the month with another artist and they get a new artist each month so theoretically they'll meet nine new people every year by different artists and then we also I've also started having special events so like, well, I've had um, Erica Hess of I Like Your Work. She did a special event where she came in and talked about juried shows and like what to look for at juried shows and when to apply, when not to apply, how to research them. And then um, John Seed, who he has a book called Disrupted Realism. He came in and talk a little bit about artist statements. We're going to do another one with Liz Bayon, who has a little artist run. She helps with writing as well. Her business is called Writing is Process, and she's going to do a workshop in May about artist statements and kind of reframing how you think about writing as an artist. They're free for all Crit Connection members, but they just have like a suggested donation to help pay the honorarium for the for the visitor. That's great. I think it's cool that you're making it super accessible. And and so in terms of the communication between the artists themselves, is it kind of up to them in terms of how much they want to communicate within that month? 
Yeah. So it's very, once they, once I send out the email, so I introduce everybody by email and the two artists that are introduced, they can choose how they would like to interact. And so they can do like virtual studio visits. They can share a book list. They can edit statements because every artist needs something different. And I want it to be individualized. I don't want to like dictate what they can do. And so some people, you know, and some people are busy one month, but they might like hold off their meeting till the next month or mm-hmm. reconnect in some other time. So there, there is sort of like a different levels of interaction with different months, depending on what's working for the artist, which is um, something that I try and make clear that mm-hmm. you're responsible for your amount of activity and interaction in the program. So but I do tr- I try and keep it accessible for everyone and um, because I know that everyone has different different access points to things like this. And but really great things have come out of it. Like I've seen, you know, artists from the Midwest who are visiting New York have studio visits and meet up with people and there's been individuals who have like had shows together or curated people into things. So, you know, things are starting to happen. It's in its third year now. That's super cool. I was going to ask you what has been the best part for you. And it sounds like it's it's seeing the artists just maybe meet up in person, form these great connections, inspire and support each other. I mean, that's such a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's really nice um, because, you know, after I send out the email, I'm kind of like, I don't know what's <laughs> happening. I, 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 hope, I hope this is good. And um it's been, it's really nice when I get feedback that, oh, it's been so great. You know, I met with so-and-so or somebody posts something on Instagram that's like, met with my artist today. Thanks, Crit Connection. Like, it's just really Aww. nice to like see that people are using it and people are like finding networks. And um, like somebody told me the other day that like, you know, their first connection they've met with like four times just because they like, like throughout the year, not like four times in a month, but they've like stayed in touch. And it's just, it's nice to hear that sort of stuff. Absolutely. And I just feel like it's so powerful, the work you're doing, because there's such a need for it. Like going back to this idea of community, I think as artists, the nature of our work is very isolating, you know, we, unless you are an artist, and I have met artists who work together and they collaborate, uh, but for the most part, we're alone in our studios <laughs> making our work. Um, and I think for many of us, it, we love that. Like we're really drawn to that. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to do that. But too much of it can be, I think, harmful in a way, you know, like we can only, like kind of like what I was saying before, we can only grow so much on our own. And providing this for artists, giving them an opportunity to connect with each other and just feel that support and feel less alone and form those relationships and connections is beautiful. Like we really need more of that. I think that that's why I was so kind of taken back when I came across Crit Connection on social media, because I was like, oh my goodness, there needs to be more of this. Like this is so, this is such important work that you're doing. It's also like, I'm, I'm, introverted. I'm one of the artists that 
would just hang out in my studio. And so it's, Mm -hmm. it's helpful for me because I, I am better. And this probably goes back to teaching. I am more motivated when I'm helping other people to do things. Right. So like, I'm also a member in the program. I'm also a participant. So it helps me to make sure that I'm getting out there because I'm helping other people to connect. So I, I feel like that the spirit of generosity is really important in the program. Part of the reason is because I, I think out when I first graduated from school, I had the wrong idea of what networking was and it felt really kind of dirty to me. Yeah. <laughs> like you're like, oh, schmoozy. Like I gotta go sell myself. Yeah. yeah. Schmoozy, you know, networky. And I, it felt really kind of gross, that idea mm. of networking. But, you know, so I had to change my mindset around it and realize that it wasn't about me asking for things. It was more about me like an exchange between people or like me even giving something and then that could evolve into something else as opposed to like, you know, I always thought it was like looking for the, you know, biggest name in the room and then trying to like, you know, (laughs) hi, you know, (laughs) I'm Ruth. You know, I always thought it was that that's sort of like the bill of goods you're sold, but that's not Mm -hmm. what networking actually is. I'm so glad that you clarified that because it's so true. Like that's what we, and I was taught uh, in my education to kind of believe that that's what networking was as well. And um, that's oftentimes what you're told in art school is like, just go network, go to a gallery opening, see if you can find the curator, the gallerist, strike up a conversation. And that there's nothing wrong with that if it's authentic. Like if you genuinely want to chat with them and, and learn more about their work or their space or whatever it is, but oftentimes it can feel very sort of salesy and uncomfortable. And you're right, like true, authentic, genuine networking is born out of a real relationship. That's what it is. It's relationship building, really. And the more contacts that you have, yes, it can help to serve you down the line, but it's also just a great thing for you, (laughs) uh, regardless of what comes of it, to have those relationships. We need them as artists. We, I think we really need to support each other and connect with each other. And um, it's just, yeah, it's beautiful. Your mission and, and how you've reframed your mindset is really cool. Yeah, I just, it, and it took me a while to realize that, right? Like it took me a while to realize that it wasn't about, I mean, growing as an artist, it isn't about necessarily, it's a slower process right? And finding those connections and growing that network is not always about like <laughs> reaching out to the top, but it's about sort of like building a pyramid, right? You, it's need, planting you need the seeds. structure and planting the seeds. So it's a... I always think about that too. It's like when you meet someone, whether it's another artist or someone in the art world or, or whatever it is, it's like building an authentic connection with them, seeing where you have common ground and like actually connecting with them in a way that feels really genuine. And then also like in terms of nurturing those connections, checking in with them once in a while, you know, seeing how they're doing. And there's a really wonderful artist, Sari Shryak, who just spoke about this. And she said that that's the way she treats her entire, 
she has a huge, huge following on <laughs> social media, like enormous, but that's how she treats her followers is like trying to respond to their comments when she can in a really true way and, and thank them and get back to them in, in her messages. And she really attributes her success to, um, taking the time and slowing down to really answer individually as many messages and comments as she can. And like, have conversations with people that are interested in her work and like doing, I mean, she is such a, just such an authentic, like what you, what you see is what you get kind of person. And I think that's how we can all, all approach it. It's, it's a beautiful, like you said, it's a beautiful mindset shift. Um, and I think it's a really powerful one. Yeah. It's, it's been important to me and, you know, just, just to sort of go at it this with like a very, a sp- spirit of generosity, right? And a spirit of um almost like a spirit of service and like the the connection is for the connections that I'm doing, you know, they're it's not about me, right? It's it's about what I can give to other people. And I just think that that is has helped it's helped me to grow immensely, right? And then um I think that as far as the having a monthly connection and just how, as far as what I use the program for, and this might just be helpful for like other people who are thinking about it. It kind of keeps me on track in my studio and I just use it as like a little monthly check-in where I'm just kind of like it because kind of keeps you scheduled. And because if you know, somebody's coming in that is, you're going to talk to, right. Then you get to sort of make sure that you're like, okay, I want to have like a new drawing or something. It doesn't have to be like a big thing. It's not like you need a whole body of work that you're going to show to like a gallery or something, but you can have just like a little thing that shows what you're doing. Or even just like, I want to make a new slideshow to show this person, you know, so it kind of keeps you on task. Yeah, I could see it being really um, helpful, the, the accountability piece and and really motivating and kind of giving people, giving artists a reason to finish that sketch or to, like you said, create something new that they want to share. And I'm sure it's helpful even just in practicing talking about your work. Like every new person you meet, <laughs> every new connection you have, you have to tell them about your work. So when you're doing that repeatedly, it probably helps break down some of that nervousness and anxiety that we can often feel when it comes to just talking about what we make. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) That like elevator speech, you know? Yes. Yes. (laughs) You have to do it over and over again. I love that. (laughs) So many good things. Well, Ruth, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. It has been so wonderful to just learn more about you. the, The really, really incredible work you're doing. Um, you've launched something that is super innovative, super accessible, and so valuable. How? Where can our listeners learn more about Crit Connection? On Instagram, you can go to uh, Crit Connection. You can always email um, Crit Connection at Gmail, and I will uh, correspond with you. Or you can go to my website, ruthlance.com, and there is a link for Crit Connection on there as well. Awesome. We'll get all of those links into the show notes. And yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you everyone for tuning in today. We'll see you next time. 
Thank you for tuning in and supporting our platform. To learn more about New Visionary Magazine, head over to visionaryartcollective.com slash magazine. You can order individual copies on Amazon or subscribe annually to digital issues. We also have opportunities to get featured in the magazine, so be sure to join our newsletter and follow us on Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or tag us on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.